So it's resolution season now. Yes? How many sermons have you heard on New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Come on. Okay, some of you have. This one's excellent. (laughs) Now's the time for resolutions. Let me show you what our resolutions were this last year, and you can see how many of them you've accomplished. Okay? You ready? All right, here are some. These were the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2015. So some of them are yours, some of them are not yours. Number one, stay fit and healthy. Should we just have everyone raise their hands by the ones we accomplished? No? Okay. You can, you can raise your hand in your mind. Stay fit and healthy. Lose weight, 32% of people. Enjoy life to the fullest. That feels like a really hard one to nail down, doesn't it? How do you measure that one? 28% of people. Spend less, save more. 25% of people. Does that mean 75% of people said spend more, save less? That's what that means. I'm getting some nods. Good. Spend more time with family and friends. Get organized. Anybody, get organized. Yes. We have some very organized people, Connie, in this congregation. You don't even know yet. Will not make any resolutions, 16%. Raise your hand if you're there. If you're there, did you accomplish that in 2015? Ben says, yes, I did. I did not make any resolutions. Good job. Learn something new, get a hobby, travel more, read more. All from the Nielsen Company, maybe from John Nielsen. We're not totally sure about the source. Inside joke for those of you who know John Nielsen. So, my question for community time today is, as you look at these resolutions, what do you want to be able to say at the end of 16? So not so much, you know, what do you want to say today, but what do you want to be able to say sitting here a year from now, something that happened in your life? Here's one that I have already decided, okay? So I I was recently on a little short trip to visit a friend of mine from college, and um, we were talking a little bit about resolutions. And I told him that I have like this low back pain I want to do something about. And he said, well, you have to learn to do the pigeon. Any yoga people? One of you. Okay, somebody knows the pigeon. The, I don't recommend trying to do the pigeon if you don't, if you never tried to stretch at all because you probably injure yourself. But the pigeon is a stretch that you do to stretch your hips right back here, okay? So I started YouTubing this, which wasn't the best idea, and I found a YouTube video that's seven minutes long that's called Yoga for Inflexible Dudes, which is perfect for me. So if you're an inflexible dude, you could feel free to to YouTube that. So I started doing this. I've already started. I didn't even wait for January 1. Every seven minutes a day, Yoga for Inflexible Dudes, which is really not yoga at all. It has nothing to do with yoga. It's unbelievably basic stretching. So you sit on your butt and you put your legs out and you pretend to try to touch your toes. And in the video, the guy goes, if you feel your legs shaking at this point, that's all you need to do. <laughs> that was it. And my knees were going up and down like this. So I was like, all right, that's it. I'm, I did it. Fantastic. Check. Uh, maybe you have some level of... Re- when I told my sister this the other day at Christmas, she said, Michael, some people are like out to do big things in the world. Your goal is to stretch seven minutes a day. I was like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Too low? Too low of a bar? What else should I do? Okay, I'll do it for 10 minutes. 
I want to suggest a resolution for your 2016 list, even if you don't make resolution lists. And I want to recommend that one of your resolutions be receive God's grace towards me. Okay? Receive God's grace towards me. Now, many of us, we're going to set some resolutions, even if the resolution is not to resolve anything. And some of them will be good for us. Some will require a lot of effort. Some you'll do. A lot of them you won't do, right? But maybe the most important thing I think we could focus on in 2016, if we think about the good news of Jesus Christ for the next year, is if we want to see positive change in our life to deepen our experience of God's grace towards us. So my question for you this morning is, how do you need to receive God's grace in 2016? Now, one of the things that's great about Mill City Church, as we look back, Stephanie's just making this list of things that happened in 2015 that we're going to email out to you tomorrow. And it's just incredible to see a lot of activity, a lot of things that have happened. I mean, amazing things from um, social justice causes being forwarded in the city, people being baptized, uh, buildings being renovated, all kinds of incredible stuff that happened in 2015. But for sure, from my perspective, one of the dangers of being part of Mill City Church is people uh, can get kind of smoked, burnt out on activity. And really, as one of your pastors, my sense is that in 2016, we have to make sure and focus on our connection in worship to the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in order that whatever energy we're pouring into loving our community in the name of Jesus comes out of an intimate relationship with God, not just our own efforts in the community. Yes? And so how do you need to receive God's grace in 2016 is kind of the fuel for whatever else it is that God wants us to do as a church together. Now, for some reason, when you read the stories of how people relate to God throughout the, the whole of Scripture, throughout the whole Bible, often we find people running away from God. It's a consistent theme. People have decided they don't want to do what God has asked them to do, or they have forgotten what it is that God has taught them, and they're going the opposite way. They're, they're faced away from God's presence and moving in that direction, refusing to accept what God is offering to them. So I want to show you one example of that this morning, just briefly, in the book of Isaiah. And I picked this story because it's a text that I find myself going back to over and over and over again in my life. It's one of my favorite passages, in part because it's challenging and in part because it's challenging to me personally, somebody who needs to hear this over and over and over again. So give me, let me give you just a brief background before I read it. If you have a Bible or you want to pull out a phone or whatever, we'll be in Isaiah 30, 15 to 18. So in this chapter, uh, God is still trying to warn the Israelites that the path they're on is going to take them to a place they don't want to go. They're going to end up in exile. They're going to lose their land, etc. And he's telling them that pursuing help from other neighbors, instead of looking to God, they're looking towards other countries to create alliances and coalitions that will help defend them if they get attacked. So they're, they're military alliances, they're political alliances. And he's saying you're looking first to places like Egypt for protection and for um, support instead of looking to me to restore your relationship with me where you'd find everything you, you want. And he goes even so far, Isaiah does, as to say that you've depended upon oppression and lying or deceit, these two things. And those things are destroying you as a people. 
You're, you've experienced oppression and now you're oppressing other people and you're lying to yourself and others about who you are and what you're doing. And, and those things are going to fall in on you like a big wall that's being built up. So it's not a real pretty picture in this particular chapter. God's making it clear this is not what he wants for them. This is not the life that he has for them. There is a different way. And that's where we get this really amazing, I think, grace-filled passage in Isaiah 30, starting in verse 15. Here it is. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I love that line. But you, you don't want any part of this. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers, the people who are pursuing you, will also be swift. A thousand of you will flee at the threat of only one person. And at the threat of five people, everyone will flee away. Till you are left like a flag staff, a flag staff without a flag on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, in verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all who wait for him. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Just imagine if that were true for you in your experience in 2016. That every morning of your life in the next year, you felt this keen sense that the God of the universe was longing to be gracious to you, to be kind to you, to speak words of affirmation to you, to remind you of who you are as a son or daughter of God. How would your life be different if that was your orientation every single morning? Let me unpack this passage just a little bit. In verse 15, if you want to put verse 15 up for me, Jared, you have this very countercultural statement where God is saying, you're looking for all these other ways to make your life better, to save yourself, all these other people who could help you, but it's really in these four things where you're going to find what you're looking for. And if you think about the craziness of life in the United States of America now, these are still very countercultural, aren't they? In repentance, which means a turning, right? Turning towards God and away from whatever it is you're focused on. It's in turning towards God and resting that you will find God's strength. It's in quietness and trust, dependence on the God of the universe and God's provision, that you will find strength. This belief here in this verse is that God is going to do the things that God has promised to do. And in the midst of hard circumstances, it's very hard to trust that, isn't it? But for God's people to respond to the challenges that they're facing by saying the best way for me to do what I need to do in the next year is to focus on making sure I'm turned towards God, that I have a rhythm of life that's restful, 
that I'm not running crazy every day and every week until I'm totally exhausted. That I've created space in my life for rest and, and to pay attention to God. That, that there, my life would not be only filled with noise, but there would be quiet. And that above all, my, my hope for what happens in my life is not dependent upon what I can accomplish on my own, but on what I know God wants to do. Doesn't that sound like almost a totally different lifestyle than a lot of us have experienced? If I turn towards God and I have a regular rhythm of resting and I know what it's like to be quiet and I'm not anxious for the most part because I know God can be trusted. The room almost feels calmer right now than it was five minutes ago. What would it be like if every day you couldn't start your day without receiving the grace that God has for you. And all the things that we all are wound up about, we place before God first, before we deal with them and and react to them. But at the end of this particular verse, God says to Israel, I already know you want no part of this. And I think most people in our 2016 culture are going to want no part of this too, right? You don't want any of this. You want to find the fastest horse you can find to get away from the things that are chasing you. And God says, the faster you run, the faster the things that are going to chase you will be. Anybody ever feel like that? The quicker you go towards something that isn't what God wants for you, it's like whatever's behind you is running just a little bit faster than you can run. And it's going to catch you. And it's going to envelop you and you're not going to be able to withstand it or outrun it. Hyperactivity will not connect us to God. Running faster, doing more things in less time is not going to help us receive God's grace in 2016. So, if you're looking for a way to make life work without turning towards God, The scripture is trying to suggest to you that you're not going to find it and you're going to feel consumed by the things that you're putting your energy into. So no matter how long our list of resolutions is, if they don't help us address these things of returning towards God and resting and being quiet and trusting Him, we're going to fail to address the deepest need we have and that's for intimate relationship with God in worship and other people. Finally, in verse verse 18, I love this piece that just says, God longs to be gracious to you. And the word longing there is also translated sometimes, God is waiting to be gracious to you. The God of the universe is with a lot of anticipation, got some things he wants to give to you, and is sort of waiting for you to put your hands out to receive them. One of the other ways that this word is used in other parts of Scripture is as uh, a woman is waiting to give birth with anticipation, right? This amazing thing is going to happen, and I'm waiting, and I I know it's going to come, but it's not here yet, and I'm ready, and I'm longing for it to come, and the closer I am to nine months pregnant, the more I'm longing for it to come. The God of the universe is saying here, I have this emotion You know, this isn't just a a truth that you should believe. It's an emotion of a God that became a human being who's saying, this is my longing for you. 
like a, a good dad who wants the best for you, I'm, I'm waiting for you to receive the good gifts that I have for you. I'm longing to be gracious to you. I'm waiting to be gracious to you. That's who I am. And then this last piece of this verse 18 uh, makes it even more affirming for us, I think, because the next statement here is, therefore, God will rise up to show you compassion. Here's why I love this, right? It doesn't say, as soon as you figure out the secret to receiving God's grace, you'll get it. It's almost like God is waiting and longing, and then eventually, God just sort of rises up and gives it to you, whether you like it or not. God rises up and will show Israel compassion, right? They will suffer for a while because they don't turn towards God, but ultimately, God will come and show them love and compassion and forgiveness. You can continue to turn away from that in your life over and over again. You can continue to try to fill your life with something else that provides meaning and purpose, the God of the universe will still be pursuing you. Longing to be gracious to you. Rising up to show you compassion because that's who God is, the God of justice. And blessed are every person who waits for him. I read this article that I posted on Facebook a, a week or so ago and a couple of you commented on it. Um, I'll try to post it on the Mill City page today if you want to take a look at it. It's written by a guy named Jeff Peabody who's a pastor out on the West Coast and is connected to our church through a family. He has this, uh, this quote that's reflecting on the same theme for a new year. I think we have. Here's what he says. Here's a radical thought. Instead of striving for sinless perfection, what if I focused on learning what it means to live like I'm forgiven? Maybe that sounds like being soft on sin but in reality, it takes it even more seriously. It acknowledges the fact that I'm helpless to complete the work by myself. I need a Savior who has more grace for me than I do for myself. I really like that line. What if the God of the universe has more grace for you than you do for yourself? What if God is kinder to you than you are to you? And what if your life could be reoriented around realizing that you are already a forgiven person whom God loves, who's accepted God's forgiveness in Christ, and you can live your life out of that, not out of fear or anxiety or pressure or worry or anything else that's pursuing you. Let me read this one more time, just let it sink in. Here's a radical thought. Instead of striving for sinless perfection and trying to accomplish everything we have on our lists, what if we focused on learning what it means to live like we are forgiven people? Maybe that sounds like we're being soft on sin, but in reality, it takes sin even more seriously. It acknowledges the fact that we are helpless to complete the work ourselves. We need a Savior who has more grace for us than we do for ourselves. Let me invite the band to come back up and sing. I want to close the service by just giving you a couple of moments of silence just to kind of reflect on the ways that you need to receive God's grace. If God is speaking to you at all this morning and saying things to you like, allow me to do this for you. Allow me to tell you what I really think about you. And just create some space of quietness 
that you might respond in trust and simply say, God, I'm, I'm ready to receive whatever it is you have for me in this next year. Let's just have that silence together now for a couple minutes. I'm going to read this scripture one more time while you're, just, while you're just having a little bit of silence. I'll read it slow. God, we invite you to speak to us and speak into our lives in this next year through this text today. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. And you said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five. You will all flee away until you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him.